All right, we're ready good? to get into you feel it. Good? You feel good? You feel good? Yeah, this, this will be an interesting one. This will be one where I'm, I have to, I'm going to really have to listen to the, uh, the, uh, the rough cut. You're like, Did I say Ooh, that? can I say yeah, that out like, loud? Can I say that out loud? Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we have been on a professional and personal journey together. We've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun even a few wins along the way. Our goal is to share our experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family with questions that make you want to unfollow. We are here at episode four of the Unfollow Podcast. How many friends you got left? Man, so I've got two friends. Uh, one's my wife and the other one, I think it might be you. No, I'm excited, man. Can you believe? So fourth episode of the podcast, tremendous feedback and uh, critiques and builds from, I think, a number of folks who have just weighed in on, hey, what's what's uh, resonating? Hey, what yeah. they'd like to hear from next? And of course, this week's session was a good one because we've both been getting feedback from the female leaders or family members in our lives to start building this. So this is going to be a test of um, our ability to really be transparent. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. So like disclaimer, asterisk, you know, our legal team here has done all the work. Um, The things that are said in episode four I think you should know that they are still things that AP and I are learning on a daily basis. And even though this podcast is intended like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure for us to go back in time and tell ourselves 20 years later what we'd want to know, I would just say that in this space that we're about to talk about, AP, like I'm still growing and learning every day, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think anytime you talk of something... Uh, I can't talk from an experience of knowledge. I'm talking from an experience of mostly failure, learning and bumps and bruises and speed bumps on the way. So, you know, our journeys as fathers um, didn't necessarily prepare us to be fathers of daughters or our our journey as leaders didn't necessarily totally prepare us to be leaders of diverse teams and how to really uh, lead women and men in a way where you honor and respect their diversities to bring the best out. So a lot of this is like learning on the job in our family and in the corporate arena and in churches as well. And of course, when all that comes together, yeah, it's a, it's a landmine to navigate. But I think the beauty of it is when you get it right, I think Jesus gives us the best example. When you get it right, team structures, people, gifts, callings, it's beautiful. So it's mm. like a, a pizza, man. It might be messy making it, but you get that bad boy right at the oven, mm. it's time to go. So yeah, let's let's dig in, man. Let's do it. Let's go. I feel like I'm yeah. at the top of like a water slide right now, and I am so excited but scared to death at the same time. I hope oh, I, I don't drown. Uh, hey, it. real quick, as we launch into episode four, this episode is going to be all about women at work. Um, the women that we work with, the women that we lead, the women in our own lives and our families and in our churches. Um, and how are we treating them? How are we leading them? How are we loving them? How are we respecting them? How are we listening to them? Um, how are we being led by them? I, like, how are we, you and I, being led by these women um, in our lives every day? Um, what else would you add to that? Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's um, such a critical time. I think We've focused a lot on racial reconciliation and redemption. So looking at diverse groups, I think an undertone of that is uh, men and women, right? If you look at a you know, primarily male-dominated culture and society from corporate to even our communities, a lot mm-hmm. of that um, you know, ties directly into some of, the, some of the gaps we've seen in equality. And so I think as me and you are trying to be better leaders, fathers, husbands, and just uh, citizens, I think it's incumbent upon us to keep learning. So I think this conversation today will be a learning journey on the things that we're letting go because they no longer serve us or we discovered Mm -hmm. that they're in error. We're going to share transparently what we're learning new, uh, and then we're going to share what we're going to lead next. Um, And I think that's a, a very good way to unfollow. So unfollow some of the bad advice 
that we've either received or seen role modeled from male yeah. and female coworkers. So I think there is a bit to, I think sometimes uh, we, we get bad advice from even well-meaning female coworkers on how to lead, uh, lead women in our lives, but also yeah. from a position of humility, our ability just to kind of learn and listen. So I expect to get really good feedback. So if you're on Spotify or Apple, you're uh, listening online, definitely feel free to drop us, uh, you know, a DM on, on the IG account, unfollow podcast, or if you have my information, send me a note. You guys know where to find me. Not too hard to find, but we would love to hear feedback and solicit your responses on how we can get better because I think we've got to pay it forward as we put ourselves out there on the limb and really, you know, try not to speak for all men, but to speak for our experiences in a way that that is authentic. That's right. Yep. Okay. So let's kick it off. AP, what was some of the bad advice you got as a young professional about women in the workplace? You know what? I always grew up thinking that, and it's reinforced by um, mostly male professionals who mentored me that you have to treat women differently. That a woman, right, uh, whether it's she's fragile or she's emotional, that you have to treat her differently. As, as if I had to put on these uh, girl gloves to have a conversation with a woman in the workplace. And I heard that reinforced time and time again in mm. multiple companies. You know, I remember mm. terms like pink work, right? And pink work wow. was the work in a very professional organization, right? High-performing professionals all across the globe. But, oh, pink work is the admin stuff that, you know, even though she's a, you know, this this lady has a, a title and a responsibility, well, you know, the work of, you know, managing and organizing the meeting and taking the notes and following up, that should sit her with her. And I remember this feedback uh, ricocheting across teams and I didn't push back. I think you kind of knew that wasn't necessarily mm. right, but mm. I think, you know, I, I, I kind of acquiesced to, to a lot of that feedback as well. And I think so one thing that was really bad advice that I got was that you always had to do that. And I've had that reinforced consistently. And I think reflecting on what I missed though, challenge is um, we start to assign and ascribe value to uh, emotions, and the truth is, emotions don't have gender. There are very much emotions that we say are feminine that are actually just emotions. You know, sensitivity, caring, compassion, empathy. Oh, there's great things in a human being, and I think over time, as we uh, try to assign a gender to those, then as a man, you don't want to show those pieces. So it creates this further gap where not only am I missing a piece of my own um, identity or my own toolkit to, to be a, you know, a full professional, I'm actually devaluing that trait in some of my female coworkers. Mm. And now I'm leading them from a position where I don't want to deal with that. And, and so, yeah, it creates this kind of this cycle, man. So I think for me, I've been working through uh, a lot of that in terms of being very deliberate with how I respond, but also, and uh, I'll share in a minute, some of the feedback I got from uh, some of my uh, female peers, coworkers, and, and friends as well that kind of highlights how that touches a whole lot of different things in their yeah. professional lives, man. So, yeah, yeah. No, so that, that's where I am. And that's something I, like I said, I'm still processing. Uh, what about you, DC? How, how are you kind of navigating? What's some bad advice you got about well, working with I, women? I think to springboard off of what you just said, one of the women that I interviewed said something very similar. She was on the other end of that quote unquote pink work. And even though she was not in what you would consider an administrative role, uh, she was still looked at by her boss as somebody that should do pink work because she was a woman. And I had never even heard that term before. So it's very interesting that you bring it up. You're hearing it from one side of the desk. And one of the ladies that I interviewed was actually the recipient of, of that. So, um, so for me, uh, it's locker room talk, like straight up, like early in our careers. Um, I, you know, I had a boss that his language about women in the workplace was he, I think he thought that he was funny, um, but he would say things that were derogatory towards women. Um, and, and I don't even want to repeat some of them on this because they, they really are like unacceptable. And I would just kind of like, shrug my shoulders and ha ha and then you know kind of move on or change the subject and looking back like that should have been a huge red flag for me um i say like hey this isn't the kind of guy that you want to follow spend eight hours a day around like that kind of thing um in addition to that uh locker room talk as it applies from a boss to uh that's a male 
to a female that is his subordinate. And, you know, Johanna saw this early in the news and we can talk about the news on a whole show itself. I mean, it is like a cesspool sometimes. And actually one of her first bosses, one of her first news directors, called her into his office. Uh, she had just moved into the role where she was actually doing the weather on TV. And he said, Hey, do you want to know why you're, uh, doing the weather? And she said, uh, because uh, I'm good at it or because I've got a talent for her. And he said, no, it's because you're hot. And he said, man, if we just put a pole out there and a disco ball, man, ratings would go through the roof. And like, as her husband of 17 years, when I say that back to you right now, like I am on fire on the inside. But what was crazy is, is that that's not the first time that this dude had said it to her or to any of her female coworkers. Like he was a predator in that space. He actually ended up falling because of this. And like the dude, you know, is way out of the business now and he's, you know, it's not worth going into the details of it, but like that behavior, uh, you know, 15 years ago, like showed itself later down the road. And what I would say to that is, is that I think Johanna had to experience things from a female perspective that had to do with her looks, had to do with uh, her sexuality as a woman that like I didn't have to deal with. Now, part of that was that she was on air, but I can be very like blunt with you and tell you that like no consultant ever came into her TV station and told a man that he needed to get his teeth fixed. Johanna was one of the first people that they said, hey, you need to get your teeth fixed. And her teeth weren't even bad. They just had a little gap in them. But like like beauty was so such a big deal, right? So then you got this news director that's got all this locker room talk going on all the time. And his two male meteorologists, you know what they did? They OD'd on heroin. So the reason that Johanna was in that job position was because the two people that were supposed to be doing their work actually OD'd on heroin. She stepped up, filled the role, and then this dude has the the audacity to tell her that the only reason she has a job is because she's attractive. Wow. Yeah. You know what? It's crazy situations like that because um, it's interesting, and I reflect on what you just said, a lot of the... um, whether it's sexualization of coworker, inappropriate comment, et cetera, that's a that's just a blinking dashboard dashboard yeah. light of an indicator of a larger outage, whether it's moral, ethical, yeah, systemic and things like that. And yeah. I think that's the larger problem is that at the point someone feels comfortable in the work environment, uh, either it's a comment or an action. Yeah. Then if they said, oh, that's OK, there's 10 other things that you have no clue that are going on, underlying mm-hmm. issues that yep. they've said are OK, that they've already compromised that. And yep. so I think question is, as men, leaders, if, if, you're, if you're a listener, how do we guard ourselves from that? How, do you, right. how do you either confront it or or I think for us, keep yourself from going along with that? I, I'll share a quick story. And like, I'm ashamed of this story. I remember, you know, it's in Vegas for a conference or a some kind of meeting. I don't remember. Vegas is one of trade my show most central. Yeah. Yeah. Trade show central. Right. I remember uh, hopping in a car with it was a mixed group. So it was uh, team members, but also maybe agency or some sales guys. Um, I remember got in the car. I was with a female co-worker. I think the rest of the car were, were guys. And uh, I think the driver started to tell jokes. Mm. And the first joke was something funny in general. The second joke was a absolute, I can't repeat it, absolutely inappropriate mm-hmm. uh, joke about women, right? Obviously mm-hmm. sexual connotation. And then people laugh, and then she speaks up. She's like, hey, there's a woman in the car. You guys shouldn't be talking like that. Yeah, yeah. And I remember how convicted I felt because she shouldn't have had to have right. said that. Me yep. as her coworker, uh, call it friend, mentor, et cetera, Mm-hmm. Out of respect for her, I should have called that out, right? So she yeah. shouldn't have had to vocalize that. I'm glad she did, and I told her this. And so this is a conversation we had. Like, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. It almost role model for me how I should act all the time. And if it was yeah. my daughter, et cetera, I should have done that. But for anybody, so if, if it was a racist joke, if it was a sexist joke, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, just defending and con- con- confronting people yeah. Um, yeah. as if you love them, man. And I think that's a hard thing to do sometimes because we're so, you can get so lazy and conditioned that it's just okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we think about ourselves 20 years ago, right? So what would you do differently? You know, for me, when I heard that locker room talk from the the boss that was above me, 
I would have just, like you said, huge red flashing light. And I would have said, hey, be on the lookout for this and prepare yourself to make a move and a shift because this is not the leadership that you want to fall underneath. And I think, too, as I as I think to my own daughters, as we raise them, right, and at some point they're going to be early in their career somewhere, I want to tell them the same thing. I want to tell them to be on the lookout, right? So when their first boss, right, at their job and in footwear in New York, like yours and I was, you know, when they hear that and they say, ah, dad told me to be on the lookout for this kind of guy. And rather than sit there and take it, they say, Hey, I think I'm going to, you know, need to move on. And I think that's the kind of daughters that you and I want to raise. Yeah. And I think it's incumbent upon us to role model that and hold ourselves to that standard. Even when we don't hit it, I think we've still got to be, uh, advocates for a part of that. You know, I think as I reflect yeah. on, you know, Chloe, my daughter, she's five and I have Chandler who's two, they're already taking these inputs in, right? Yeah. And some of the feedback I got from um, some of uh, my female peers, and thank you for everyone who shot me a note on Instagram or shot me a text. I, I appreciate it. I mean, a lot of it was emotion based, like, hey, crying equals weak or uh, women's intuition, even though it's emotionally, emotionally leaning, is yeah. often discounted. Uh, but even thinking about attraction, right? Just because you know, a woman invites you to a a meeting or a lunch, dinner, coffee doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's an invite for a date, yeah. right? Things like that. Uh, but also, I think there's things that about this male dominance and superiority that are just ingrained in a lot of our environments, yeah. from church to community to work. Where you know, I mean, some of the stuff I, I heard, I'm like, yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of how we operate, right? So if you're a Say you're a working mom, right? Um, how does that change how you treat uh, a female coworker up here? If you know she's a working mom, are you giving her less work, or do you assume that she's unable to handle the load? Or if you mm. know someone's expecting, do you like how do you work yeah. around a female? Yeah. And are you taking an opportunity for her to prove herself? Are you uh, taking a high value um, project? Right? I mean, that's 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 real real stuff. Or um, how this happens all the time. How often do we bookend uh, a woman's point of view or mansplain? So yeah. I've got to intro. I, so Adrian's got to like intro and then a woman can talk and then I'll wrap it up. And mm-hmm. as if as if I'm presenting her point of view, and I have to validate it or co-sign mm-hmm. it. I see that happen all the time mm-hmm. in business. It happens, I think, to other men, too. But by and large, I, I just think we've got to check ourselves a, would you do this uh, with to a male coworker? Yeah. Um, what is the rationale for? It? Is this you asserting a dominance or a control or mm-hmm. a superiority because you want to be seen in a light among your other male coworkers? And those are questions I don't ask myself enough. Yeah, but I've started to at least be more deliberate around how I do that and interact. That's so good, man. So I know uh, you got a lot of good feedback from women in your life. Um, I was able to interview three women that I respect a lot in business. And so I got their feedback as well. So normally we would move right from, hey, what are we, you know, unlearning and, you know, basically what was bad advice into what are you learning right now? What are you reading? But I want to add to that mix tonight. I want to add into that, like, hey, what was some of the feedback that you heard from women? Let's kind of bounce that back and forth. And then like, what did that, make you think like what are you how are you growing how are you looking at things differently it's good you know i think uh some of the feedback um related to emotion i think hit me because the challenge as a um best i think in management and leadership is we tend to lead the way we were led and so if you're not careful even if you're a christian or believer in the workplace you end up role modeling the behaviors of the leaders that you had yeah so even though I supposedly, right, I have a different set of values and decision-making principles, mercy, grace, compassion, Mm. patience, perseverance, kindness. That should be the hallmark of how my team describes me, if you are a female or a male coworker. Um, So if there's a gap, I've got to own that. And I think by and large, Mm. I end up role modeling that. So some of the feedback, you know, I've seen is about, it's okay to interrupt a, a female when she's talking. I see that happen a lot in in different meetings throughout the years. Or if a woman's, I mean, I've had male coworkers say, "Hey, a woman's been invited to a meeting, but I won't let her talk. She's just there to really, uh, really, yeah. She she's just there to uh, 
observe. Wow. Like things like that. And I think we've got a challenge. Um, I have to challenge, right? I think those notions and, and I've, you know, I've asked, you know, cause I, I'm not a to- totally silent, but I think we've got to confront it. And I think we've got to continue to, to do that. Hmm. Um, a for the teams that work with you, but also for people that are come going to come behind you. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so yeah, those are the things, the power structure I think is one. And I've even seen on teams where, and I see, I think well-meaning female leaders, because they're ingrained into this kind of male-dominated culture in, in any business, female coworkers are even giving you the advice of how to navigate around hmm. the, you know, the white male politics, etc. Hmm. And so there isn't nearly enough resource for you know we have like women's empowerment, but you know, uh, research shows that a lot of those. Uh, training modules about diversity and inclusion are largely in, ineffective because they're trying to change people's minds. And I think we've got to move to a model where we change the processes. We don't leave it up to men to change men. Mm-hmm. We put in processes and systems where we take that bias out because it's too much at stake, man. You look at the mm-hmm. gender pay gap where, you know, women are making, you know, 60 to 70 cents for every dollar a man makes even though a lot of them are more educated black women are more educated than black men in this country right now right um or if you look at kind of that you know the the baby tax you take time out i mean those things are wrong those are just bad kpis Mm. bad key performance indicators and Mm. i've got to own that as a leader but also try to build a a culture that challenges that that makes it okay for for people to confront it but also um, you know, build a, a model where people can thrive no matter what. If you choose to have a kid or not, if you choose to be a stay-at-home mom for a season and you come back, yeah. like, it shouldn't matter. But the reality is, if you look at the statistics in our country now, it matters so much more. And women are largely on the short end of the stick. Man. So talk about your team mix now. So you lead 80 people in your current role. Um, how, what's the makeup, male-female? Good question. Um, so I think so. The marketing team is about, um, I'd say, probably about six percent female, mm-hmm. and then our hospitality group, which is um, our team that hosts our experiences in uh, Mexico. So the Hacienda Patron in uh, Totonilco, Mexico. You know, the so fifty staff who are service, etc. That's about eighty percent female as mm-hmm. well. So largely female. Um, I think staff on um, both of those kind of ends of the reporting spectrum. Mm-hmm. And and I'd say this, uh, female leaders as well. And so, mm. you know, it's always been about, you know, obviously getting the best um, talent in the roles. And I found that I think, especially in marketing, in communications, et cetera, some of the most passionate, some of my favorite leaders are women. Women I've worked for from the beginning of my career till now to women I work with now um, I, I, like I said, it might be my work style, et cetera, but I, I think there's something you get when you can round out that, that mm. talent. And so I, I, I advocate for this. This is my opinion of one. I'd say having women at a table when you're making decision makes the decision better mm. by, by far. And I know, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the religious aspect of that. Cause that, that's a whole other thing, mm-hmm. thing to unpack, but I think that's one, but also when you give a male or female uh, peers or coworkers the ability, the flexibility to do their job on their terms, mm-hmm. right? So the flexibility, yeah, I mean, if you have to take care of kids during the day or you have an alternative work schedule mm-hmm. or the, you know, the living situation, flexibility of their job, that creates loyalty. Yeah. It doesn't diminish it. And so it creates the freedom we need for people to be empowered. So we don't have to be so controlling over it. Uh, I think that's just a different dynamic from, you know, legacy leadership. It said you had to be here. If you're a woman, you you take this role, et cetera. And I think Mm -hmm. now we're starting to rethink those things. And good news is you've got a whole generation of female leaders who are up and coming directors and vice presidents and senior managers. They're they're questioning it. They're pressure testing it. And they're not going to take, you know, what was okay 20 years ago. I think they're demanding equity they're demanding fair compensation they're demanding uh their fair share of of value and they're also uh creating their own they're starting businesses they're creating their own lanes as well and so that's what i'm excited about uh not only as a as a as a leader but also as a father because 
Yeah, I, I, I want my, my girls to be able to do that for themselves. Mm, that's good. Uh, so uh, two of the three women that I spoke to talked about the way that they dress in the workplace. And to be honest with you, I work in a pretty casual environment. I've always worked in a casual environment, whether it was on the agency side um, or now even on the client side. Like my, my most of my days are jeans and a T-shirt or jeans and a button-up untucked. Like it's pretty laid back. But two of these three women said that they think a lot about what they wear. Depending on what they have going on that day for certain meetings, they may or may not dress up or down. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating, right? So uh, we, as men, probably don't think about that often. Like, hey, is this the right color shirt for this meeting? Is it too low cut? You know, will I be taken seriously? Should I wear a skirt? Should I wear pants? Like as men, like we don't have to deal with that. And so this quote stuck out to me. It said, we are not dressed up for you, but we are dressed up because of you. Ooh, unpack that one. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, and I don't know that I have the answer to that, but mm. I thought that that was such a good quote. And it, it really told me, it said, hey, listen, you know, I am thinking so much about what I'm wearing. Like, And, and the way I always look at thinking is, is it's energy, right? Like your brain was built to do one thing, and that's keep you alive. So anytime you're expending extra energy on anything else, right, like it's costing you something. And so both of these women are saying, I am literally killing myself thinking about what it is that I'm going to wear because I'm concerned about will I be taken seriously in this meeting? And I thought, man, that's heavy. And so my my takeaway from that is like, how can I be empathetic towards that? Right. Like, do we create cultures moving forward that like we just make sure that everybody's kind of like, hey, we're a really super relaxed environment. Women feel free to wear jeans. Men wear jeans. I, you know, wear shorts. Like, I don't care. Women are really thinking a lot about that because they want to be taken seriously. Yeah, that that's a challenge. And I guess going a level deeper, at what point? Especially as men, did we did that start to matter more than the competency, right? Yep. And yep. I, I think that's the challenge because we know, you know, we all know guys. You know, I mean, you you look like you're rolled over, you brushed your hair with a you know Wall Street Journal, and didn't shower, and you know they're, they're brilliant, you know, and it's okay uh, if a woman did the same thing. It, it would impede, right, her her ability to be promoted right. and, and, and move up, et cetera. Yeah, because like, you yeah. and I both know, like, total slobs that wear pleated khakis, ate, ate breakfast on their shirt on the way to the office, have dandruff all over them, and somehow get promoted to be CMO or CEO of these companies. And, you know, like, to your point, like, there are these women in their workplace who are thinking again so much about what they're wearing and, and coming to work to be presentable. And dude, these guys are not doing the same thing. And so there is a double standard there for sure. Um, I think the other thing that I took away a lot of from this is in our churches. Like I grew up in a super conservative church where women weren't supposed to wear pants to church. And looking back at that, this is ridiculous. I see you raising your hand. So you're in agreement. But this is this is absolutely ridiculous, right? But it was okay for them to wear what are called culottes. And I don't know if you know what culottes are, but they're like basically like big jam pants, which I mean, like right now they would be like super on trend. But like women couldn't even wear pants to, to play like sports or athletics or shorts in or whatever. And looking back, you know, 30 years later, like that's just ridiculous, right? And it was a huge double standard in the church. So as we kind of start to unpack this this evening, one of the things that I wanted to go into was often in our church culture, women are told on Sundays, hey, you know, you're only able to lead up to so far. You're only able to teach elementary school or junior high, you know, maybe high school students. But after that, like we don't really allow women, you know, to teach men. And but then on Monday, when they show up at work, they're expected to lead men. And I find this so counterintuitive, right? Like we're missing so much in our churches if women are not allowed to teach, lead, speak, like really grow our body. I think if we look at the ministry of Jesus, right, women were like 
the pillars uh, and the the importance behind his growth. Like they were the funders. They were the the people that motivated others. Every time we read about a significant moment um, in Jesus's ministry, we see a woman there. And like somehow along the way, like we as men have said, nah, we don't need you to lead in church. We just need you to show up and make sure that we take care of the babies in the nursery. Yeah, that's a man. That's a that's a hot topic, and it's a, I think a burning platform. And you know, I think it's interesting. I had a conversation with my dad. So my dad's you know a senior pastor of a missionary Baptist church, but very conservative. Missionary Baptist is a very conservative uh, African American traditional church. I remember you know we were debating you know the and it's the old adage you know some people if you're you know theology major you might call it complementarism. You know how a uh, Women and men have complementary skill sets and gifts that come together to represent the body of Christ, but also in the in the community. Um, or you might say, you know, it's a question of, you know, gifts versus calling, meaning, hey, a woman could be gifted to be a great leader, speaker, organizer, administrator, operator. But she but a woman wouldn't be called necessarily in the body of Christ or in the family to lead over a man. And, you know, and, and I think the term leadership is very foggy because that can mean any number of things. So looking at, Hey, is this the structure or the, uh, you know, for the family, is that structure applicable to church? And if that's applicable to church, how does it affect our communities? And so, and I think I wrestle with it because, you know, so the church I grew up in, yeah, well, I mean, women, you couldn't, I mean, you didn't wear, you had to wear, uh, you know, uh, dresses down to your ankles, no pants. I mean, never a, a, a woman preacher. I mean, at all. That just wouldn't wouldn't happen. Um, women in leadership were primarily administrative, uh, young young adult education, young young you know young people's ministry, kids ministry, etc. And you know, I think, uh, but you know, the church I uh, joined after college, you know, there were I mean, very strong, like overly qualified female pastors and leaders who were. I mean, who would preach down heaven and exegete scripture and give you the hermeneutics of like any. I mean, they were some bad sisters who were bringing the word as educated as any of their male contemporaries. And so you see that and you're like, well, it's not a capability gap. In fact, by and large, they're accomplished leaders. And you look through the Bible, you know, from Rachel to Rahab to Rebecca, Leah, Lydia. I mean, there's a Esther. There's a whole string of women who made an impact, not only uh in the church, but more outside the church, in their communities, they were leaders, et cetera. But in the church, they actually had a, had a, there was a ceiling there. And, you know, I get parts of Titus and Timothy where you look at, you know, how, how Paul directed the church to be. And so there's this very traditional view of, well, you know, is that applicable to, you know, 2020, the year 2020, or is that something for the cultural times, you know, 2000 years ago? And so I wrestle with that. And so I'd say this, my, my take, like I said, and like I said, it's non-essential, meaning I can hopefully still get to heaven uh, with this belief, you know, because it's not essential to my faith. But I'd say as I read the Bible, as I interpret scripture for myself, right? So not someone's book about the Bible, not someone's book about women or not a church statement, but my own, I... I, I do believe that women can be uh, not only gifted to lead, but also called to lead by Holy Spirit and put in a position where they can thrive. Uh, now, you know, I, I I do think that can happen. I do think there are great examples of women that, that are doing that. And so but I also think that if there is a church like you know, my father's church where that's not their tradition. OK, that's fine. So I don't spend a lot of time debating that. I just right. I just think, hey, if you if you want to go that route, do that. I remember a coworker asking me one time, though, like, hey, if your daughter wanted to go into ministry, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to support him? Like, yeah, of course, I'd support it as well. So I, I, I think it's such an interesting model. I know there's lots of debates around it. I mean, where where are you at? I think you and Joe, I think in your, because you guys are obviously very active in your church and in your community. How, how you guys think about it? I would also say that those passages that people often point to in the New Testament that are restrictive, I do believe that they are based on culture of that time. I do believe you have to look at them um, in relationship to who Paul was talking about. And like you said, I think you and I believe that the Bible is so simple. Like it's got really simple, basic truths about it. And that 
I don't think that women leading either way is going to get us to or restrict us from eternity. And so I think at the end of the day, um, one of the reasons that we are limiting women in leadership is because we're fearful of it. I, I think we're afraid of what somebody else might say. We're afraid of what it might call out in us. Um, but I think the third area is, is that we're embarrassed because men haven't stepped up and led, whether that's been at home or in these other spaces. And so like, there's a huge gap that women are saying like, Hey, like if, if y'all are going to do this, like we're going to step up and do it. And, and men are like, Nope, Nope. Those, that's not what Timothy and Titus say. No. Right. But like, Hey, if you're going to weaponize, the New Testament and these three or four restrictive passages, then okay. And so we beat them down and then they go to work on Monday and they're asked to lead again. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Back to the failure of male leadership. You know, if I could go back again 20 years, I would tell myself, get rid of your Xbox, uh, get rid of your toys, right? And focus on things that matter early on so that your wife isn't trying to fill leadership roles in your own household, right? Whether that's budgeting, whether that's uh, dealing with house maintenance, whether that, you know, whatever these things are that are, that require leadership. I think it's so important that men take a hold of that early on in their marriage, as opposed to waiting around to see who's going to do the dishes, man. Listen, like, I think as husbands, we are called to serve our wives. And dude, that means that you're going to need to clean the toilet. That means that you're going to need to do some laundry. That means that you're going to need to vacuum. Johanna hates vacuuming. So I'm like, sure, whatever. I'll vacuum, you know. But I think what happens is so often, like we, we looked at the generations in front of us and said, oh, well, these are the gender roles and this is how it looks in a, in, you know, domestic relationship. And what I got to tell you, man, that doesn't work. And that doesn't read that doesn't read the same uh, as I read it today, as far as like, man, the word says, like, I'm called to serve her. I'm called to love her. It says nothing about who's supposed to do dishes, who's supposed to vacuum. It doesn't say anything about that. Right. So what I'd say is, is like step up and lead. If you need to make a chore list, divide it, put together a budget, figure it out together. Right. Like, I think especially in some of these areas, like, let's just be honest, like budgeting, right? Like Johanna's a way better budgeter than I am. She's way better with money. She's, she grew up on a pastor's salary and could shop at Goodwill at 13 and stretch a dollar. Like she's amazing. But if you ask me to manage the budget, it's all going to be nice round numbers. It's going to be like, ah, I think the checkbook should have more zeros than odd or even numbers, right? Like that's just the way that my brain works. And so we transitioned the the finances back to Joe from a, just a perspective of like leadership and transparency, right? Like, and we did this probably 12 or 13 years ago. And it's her way of like helping our, our family stay on task, stay on budget. Um, and she leads in that area. I think a lot of men would have a problem with that. They're like, oh, I need that checkbook. I, you know, I'm bringing home the bacon. I've got to make sure that we've got all that we need. It's like, dude, shut up and just give her the checkbook. She's going to be way better than you are. Now, what I'd say is that if your wife isn't good with finances, like it's not that as a woman, she's not good with finances. It's just not one of her giftings or her strengths. So take it on and do it. You know, um, what about you? That's good. I remember I reflect on our uh, marriage counseling, Alicia, uh, my wife had this is almost 10 years ago. And that was the advice this couple have been married 40 years. They gave us was like, it's okay to leverage your strengths. Yeah. If she's better at budgeting and you're not, it's okay. If she has a passion for this, like you don't have to recreate the marriage you saw modeled at your yeah. home or you don't have to build it the way it was. It's okay. Like God is okay. You are a uniquely beautiful person. Mm -hmm. Like you can create a marriage and a life that worked for you. And so, yeah, for, so Alicia has been our go-to forever from a financial perspective, from the the management of yeah. it, because she's so much better at it, where I'm more of a like top level, hey, let me think through like, you know, some of our, like our strategy, our saving, our investments, et cetera. So we have a budget yeah. meeting. I'm bringing a point of view, right? Yeah. And she, she's bringing some of the detail. And yeah, I think it's interesting. If you look at some of the research, um, you know, I, I was fascinated as you learned that, you know, 
there are things that we call gender traits that are actually social structures, right? So we assign these traits to gender as feminine and, and male, male and female, that no, they're just social arrangements, like that primarily historically have benefited men, right? So you have, and it's interesting how all these things combine. I don't want to get in too much trouble, but you start to think through how men dominate the decision-making uh, seats in our country, right. right? From corporate to community, et cetera, government, right? And you look at funding of, you know, um, contraception to uh, things from healthcare to, uh, you know, education. All these things are done with a male lens. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, and I would say this, our challenge as believers is always this, anything, doesn't matter what topic we're saying is, I can't read or interpret the Bible based on my mind or experiences. I have to submit my mind and experiences and look at them through the lens of the Bible. And so that's, as Christians, I submit it. So even if I'm passionate about, hey, women should have this, I always, in my hope and prayer, and what I teach my kids is I submit my own thoughts, my own opinions to uh, scripture and to and, and to do that. And if you can do that, and continue yeah. to, to to challenge yeah. yourself. I think you'll always you you'll, you'll be okay, even if you're wrong. You'll you'll end up in a good spot. Yeah. So I I would never pretend yeah. to have the the answer, but no, I I agree. I, I think rethinking some of those former roles is going to be so so key. Just because a I think our kids are being raised in an entirely different environment, you know. And I, I think about just my daughters and what they're they're going to have to face. Yeah. You know, even my son, right? So that's part of it too. Now you got a little boy now too. How are we raising our sons to honor and respect women? How are we role modeling that? Because I gotta, I gotta be honest. I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, man, I grew up in a you know Christian strict household, etc. My dad, I mean, always honored and respected my mom. But when I went off, you know, high school, college. I, I can't say I was a, yeah. I mean, I was probably far from that, right? So you spend, you know, years of your life viewing like the female body as something to pursue, like something to obtain. It's like, it's a trophy. And now you, know, you fast forward, you know, 20 years later, now, you know, you have a wife and daughters and now you have a females you need to protect. And I think, and so many men are trying to like, claw back into some semblance of responsibility when you spent years, whether it's like your view of women, whether it's what you consume, whether it's pornography, whether it's addiction, whether it's habits, however you you lived your life. And a lot of that was so unhealthy. And I remember early, um, this was probably my late 20s. I remember I had a distinct moment where I remembered, unless I start to do the things now that'll prepare me to be a husband, a father, I won't like I can't wait till I become a father to prepare to be a father. Yeah. I can't wait till I become a husband. And I think that for me was a turning point. And um and just how you view mm. and treat women overall was like I can't harvest seeds that I didn't plant and you can't expect and I've seen this go so terribly wrong with so many friends and, and so many male coworkers where gosh, you end up and yeah, you've you've sown these seeds. Um so for me it's a very serious topic. Just because um, you're so, so cautious about getting it um, right, but the stakes are so high if you get it wrong. Uh, so let's talk about sexuality real quick. Uh, male, female, you know, they're, we're together in the workplace eight hours a day. Um, and you're looking back at yourself 20 years ago. What, what advice would you give yourself 20 years ago when it comes to um, relationships in the office, um, male, female, coworkers, lots of time together? What would you say? Well, since I got everything absolutely wrong, and so this is definitely a space yeah. where I uh, have my master's degree of mediocrity. I think looking back, I would say uh, to what a 20 year old Adrian, you know, coming out of college, I would say um, don't expect that you can, um, don't expect that you can disrespect co-workers or females in general and bear positive yeah. fruit in yeah. your life. I think as men, and especially me in my experience was it always felt like culturally disposable. Like, Hey, you know, you're young. This is what you do. Like, this is, this is your time of life. You yeah. know, like marriage is something you do when you're bored right now. You got to 
be, be young, sow your royal oats if you're watching Coming to America, yeah. right? I mean, all yeah. those things. Yeah. And it's sowed so many seeds. I mean, you're spending years trying to dig out of, of some of those decisions. So I would say that. I think that ability um, is so, so critical. We don't talk about it nearly enough. We, we talk about purity with our daughters and there's, you know, promise rings and all these ceremonies and things like that. But I mean, we gotta, we gotta start talking to our young men about not only how they treat women, but like their role as image bearers, right? And like, how do you start to, yeah. to, to really uphold that standard? And here's the deal. The discipline is not, um, to punish you. The discipline is actually to give you the freedom. So discipline now leads to freedom later. Discipline now gives you the ability to have that healthy relationship you want, the healthy family you want. And so if anything, you see my family, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed. I've got a beautiful wife, Alicia. I've got three beautiful, healthy kids. My life now looks nothing like my life 20 years ago. And if you look at my life 20 years ago, you don't think that guy, that guy does not deserve the life he has now. So I am wholly the recipient of all the grace that I could ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever imagine. Um, but I think that gives me a responsibility, though, to pay that grace yeah. forward, but also to, to ensure that I can I can share some of those lessons as well. What about you? Well, I think that's so good. To your point very early on, you know, the women in our in our work lives don't necessarily want to be treated differently. They don't want to be you know, taken care of or protected. But at the same time, you know, there's a side of me that says that's our role is to create an environment where they are protected, where an environment where they are safe, an environment where their voices are heard and they don't have to worry about things like being sexually harassed. That was one of the women that I spoke to. A lot of the older guys, specifically on some of these um, men's uh, fashion or the trade show circuit, like they just touch, like they're touchers and rubbers and like massagers and like they they say inappropriate things. And a lot of these guys are a little bit older, so a lot of it's like very Mad Men era esque. And there's still quite a few of those guys on. But don't don't get it twisted. There's a generation of men our age underneath them and even younger that are watching them. And saying, oh, that's okay. It's okay for me to walk into a meeting and just start rubbing the shoulders of a coworker or to say say an inappropriate thing about her blouse or, you know, how her legs look today or whatever. Like, those kind of things, bro, like they happen every day to the women around it. They they happen to our sisters, our wives. Uh, even, even our mothers, like if your mother is working, like these things are happening to them in the workplace. And like, I do feel like that our, our roles as leaders now is to create environments where they are protected, but they're not, they're not babied or they're not like handled with kid gloves. What they are is, is they're put into a space where they don't have to worry about, you know, some big dummy walking into the room every meeting and be afraid like, oh gosh, here comes Bob and he likes to rub on my shoulders. Like that's just inappropriate. And so I, I think as men, we have to be creating these spaces where our, our female coworkers, again, don't have to worry about this crap, man. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you've got to champion that. You've got to and challenge yourself to uh, do that. And I think, there is this degree of humility where when you get it wrong, do uh, yeah. admit it. Um, you know, I, I've had moments in my career where, you know, I'll, I'll find an article about, you know, how women are treated in the workplace and I'll send it to my female coworkers um, um, and solicit feedback or I might engage in a. So I think as men, you can't passively lead uh, in a way that breaks down, call it male yeah. dominance. You can't passively break down sexism in the workplace. You can't passively break down cultures that uh, have gender inequality. There's no passive way mm-hmm. forward. You got to actively do that. And so I think that starts with actively seeking feedback, engaging females on, hey, like, is, is, is this happening on our team? Um, hey, is this a problem for you? How, how can I be a better leader? How, how can I start to engage on this? Um, you know, hey, you, hey, you're coming back from maternity leave. Like, right. what do you need, or what do you, what, and what don't you need, right? And it's very different. I think it's just treating women as uniquely 
um, you know, individual as you would a male coworker, right? And there are women who are like, yeah, I can't wait to get back from maternal leave. There are women who are like, I don't think I want to come back. You know, just like there are guys who want to be at home. There are guys that want to be on the road. I mean, and so I think when you allow them to allow anyone to just be uniquely yeah. them um, and take away those assumptions and those gender systems that you inherited socially, I think that creates an opportunity for you just to, to cherish and value um, you know, that that role. And I think you'll be quite pleased with when you can unlock that the talent. Right. So, you know, every every, you know, 10 percent of your brain, you're spending in a meeting trying not to get groped by, you know, old man yep. Bob or yep. m- massaged by, you know, Deacon yep. Jim. Well, hey, that's 10 percent that I can use towards building something yep. valuable or go to my family, et cetera. So I think those walls come down and it enables us to do the work we're supposed 100%. to do. Anyway. So is there any book or books along the way that you've read that you feel like you're, you're using as a guidepost for some of this? Yeah. I mean, a great book I'd recommend is a book called uh, radical candor. Uh, it's by a lady named Kim Scott, um, radical candor. And it's, you know, it's a New York times bestseller. So there, there are several folks, you know, who, who might've, uh, been familiar with it but kim scott you know had a a tech um tech background uh you know a female ceo and a number of businesses etc but i think this 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 idea of you can be successful and still be human and you can have conversations with men and women and honor and respect their unique differences and i think what i've taken from it is just that that ability to uh champion and challenge right and so i think a lot of the feedback i got from female peers was that I want you to challenge me. Don't don't treat me soft because I'm a female, right? Like like yeah, open the door is okay, but like don't give me a, a a lower class project or take something away because you think I can't handle it. Like yeah. treat me like a professional. And so I think you want to challenge your peers, uh, but also champion their efforts, right? So it's like I can care for you personally as a human and, and like quote unquote love you peer to peer but also challenge you directly. And I think once you get that right, you build that trust where they know that, that you honor and respect them and trust them. So it's a great book, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Highly, highly recommend. It's not necessarily for just women. It's just how to lead. But I think uh, submitting yourself to a woman uh, as a mentor is very, very valuable. So I, even in my current role, I've got a couple of women um, who I highly value. I would just call them and bounce an idea off of them. Yeah. And like, so be okay as a man submitting yourself to a, a woman, not your wife, that doesn't count, uh, submitting yourself to a, a, a woman uh, who can mentor you, who can speak into your decisions, not just about women, female stuff, but just to get a general sense. I found yeah. some of those conversations, some of those valuable conversations I've had in business over the last year as you navigate change and, you know, organizations, et cetera. So Kim Scott, Rad Kander, pick mm. it up. What about you, man? Recco, give All me right. something. So not necessarily a book just on women in the workplace, but this book like Radical Candor for you has reshaped the way that I look at people in my life in general. And it's the road back to you by Ian Cron. It is a basic primer for, Enneagram teaching. And what I think it taught me was I I look at these numbers, uh, these personality types, and I look at numbers and personality types. I don't look at male and female. Now, do they show up differently? Sometimes. But if you look at a person, you say, ah, okay, let's have a conversation about your personality type. And they unpack that with you. And you start to understand what is a motivator for them, what the mask is that they put on to show up in the world to be safe and loved, and when they're willing to take that off, what that looks like. What happens is is that you don't look at them as like, okay, here's what men can do, here's what women can do, and especially in the hiring process. So I'll give you a good example. One of the last hires for our marketing team that we needed was we had all these creatives, and we said, man, we really need a, a one we, we really need somebody that's super organized, that can really put things into place, but I also need them to be creative. And so we interviewed 92 people for this role. And the person that we ended up hiring happened to be a female. She happened to be a one. But because I was looking for an, a certain Enneagram type or a certain like personality type in this hiring 
uh, process. I wasn't looking for male, female. What I was looking for is I was looking for a very specific personality uh, kind of set of traits because it was something that was missing on our team. Turned out to be a female, super organized, um, actually very creative, um, which doesn't happen a lot. So that book for me has been so good. Ian Cron, Road Back to You. And what I would say is you talk about um, submitting to uh, female leadership in this space. Again, I know I said this on an earlier episode, but Submitting to Johanna's leadership in this teaching for me has helped to unlock and change who I am as a person. You know, in the last three years, you know, she has really helped me to understand, hey, this is who you are. Then this is how you are uniquely built. This is, you know, God has wired you a certain way and that's okay. And so it was just really cool to have her kind of teach me instead of, you know, me as the head of the household, like teaching her. And come on, like, let's be honest, as as husbands, like if we'll submit ourselves to our wives, dude, we learn so much from them. We grow so much from them. It's an ego thing if you can't let that down to learn from her. Okay, I got to take a moment. We got to shout out Joe. Joe Coffee, Daryl's wife, is this an amazing, amazing woman. I don't think I've ever prayed as much for a woman as not my <laughs> wife as Joe, to be quite honest. So is it weird to say I think about your wife probably every day? Oh, but she's just an amazing person. So I so yeah. appreciate her. She teaches me. I love uh, her Enneagram yeah. teaching, her just observations yeah. on life. Uh, she's just so valuable. She's the rock. She's so tough, so strong, but so just wicked smart and such a great mother and wife and, and partner. So I, I, she's one of my, I admire her so much uh, for all that she does. So anyway, I've got to say that. Joe Birds. Hey, real quick on that. We've been married for 17 years this month. Oh, 17 yeah. years. Oh, that sounds so old. You guys look like you're in your Man. 30s. <laughs> when I heard the word 17, I felt old. Like, it, you know, it was one of those things where I looked at her today and I said, man, it does not feel like we've been married 17 years. But some days it feels like we've been married 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, you guys make oh, it look I appreciate good. it. Um, appreciate all right. It. So where are we headed? Like, where do you want to be in the next couple of years as you lead these teams at, you know, 80% women, 60% women? Where do you want to be? Yeah, I'd say two things, you know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm letting go, right, of some of the – toxic, outdated, mm-hmm. you know, useless yeah. advice. I'm learning what's new, you know, in terms of how to challenge and champion. I think as I think about what I'm leading next, two things I, I would challenge. I challenge myself and I challenge male leaders to do in any organization, church, nonprofit, community, or, uh, you know, corporate startup. I think as males, we have to do two things. I think we have to seed ground and seed ground. Let me explain. So seed ground, S-E-E-D. Mm-hmm. We have to plant seeds that elevate and empower uh, all people, but I think we have to be deliberate around planting seeds that elevate and empower our uh, female yeah. co-workers. So planting that, that next generation so they can yeah. flourish. So they have opportunities. They, can, they need the visibility. They need the projects. They need your executive support. They need the pipeline of um, mentorship. They need those same things that oftentimes happen unofficially and, you know, at the golf outing, at the bar, Mm -hmm. at the happy hour, uh, on chat, on Slack. They need access to having those opportunities. And if you currently don't have a pipeline of female leadership or female executives or female opportunities, it's an indictment on you. It's not a lack of female talent. It's not a lack of, um, I think, effort. It really is an indictment on you as a leader. So that's one. I think you get to seed the ground. And then seed the ground number two is C-E-D-E, seed. I think as leaders, we need to give give Mm. ground away. We need to take a step back. So I think about me. I need to let someone have my seat at the table. I remember I spoke at a conference this was about a year ago, and there was a panel, and it was all guys. I remember something just didn't sit right with me because it was a conference, and it was a lot of guys anyway. Yeah. And something told me I should have let, I should have found 
a female to take my spot. And I didn't. And it bugged me the whole time as I looked at the, at the audience at a sea full of guys, mostly guys. And it just bugged me. And I remember I told myself, I'm not doing that ever again. I think we need to seed ground. We need to take take a step back, make sure a female has a seat at mm. the table. Obviously, make sure, you know, someone, a person of color has a seat at the table. But, like, give up opportunities. Like, let someone shine. Give them their opportunity. Give them challenges. I mean, the the most, um, I think, you know, the biggest uh, compliment you can give someone is to give them a challenge. Give them a meaty challenge that you don't even yeah. know how to figure out. Like, you know, like step back. And I think be comfortable enough in your in your role and your purpose and your leadership that you're okay like letting a let a woman ha- have her moment. Um and I think preparing it the way for that is so, so critical um as well. And I think that is really the test of leadership is to make sure the team can thrive uh beyond you. So seeding ground, planting the seeds for the future, but also seeding ground, taking a step back, letting go of some of the things that you traditionally might have to do because you're the guy in charge. No, no more of that. Take mm-hmm. a step back. Make Man, that's so good. That is just so good. Seed the ground and seed the ground. Man, that's good. Oh, it's like you should be writing a book. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm going to get a, like transcripts of all these podcasts and each one will be a chapter. And then maybe, you know, sometime this year, I'll, uh, yes. I'll have a book ready. Man, that's good. All right, any final thoughts? Oh, man, you know what? Um, so I would say this. We deliberately tried to uh, keep the scope of this conversation in women in the workplace. We can have equally deep conversation on raising mm-hmm. daughters, raising strong daughters, raising independent yeah. daughters. So that'll be something that will come up, too. I, I think that came up several times as well. So for listeners, yeah. uh, for that. I think, you know, part of thoughts is we know this is the start of a conversation. Uh, but, yeah, I'd solicit feedback. I, I think, obviously, you know, for us, I'm still clumsy and awkward in trying to be and trying to fight yeah. sexism in whatever room I'm in and try to make those make those pathways uh, for female co-workers the same way I'm doing the same thing for diversity. Right. For inequality yeah. across the board. I'm not picking and choosing who I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for everybody. And while I have the seat mm-hmm. at the boardroom. The seat at the conference room, the seat yeah. at anybody's room, that's my job. And when you kick me out the door, well, I'll build my own <laughs> table. But <laughs> until then, that's um, me, man. I'm not um, shutting um, up about man. it. Yeah, I, I think just to kind of wrap us up, uh, we tried to stay really focused on women in the workplace. Obviously, this could go down the path of marriage, which we're going to have episodes dedicated to marriage Um but I, I want to just like wrap up by saying like if I could go back 20 years, what I would tell young Daryl is it's just when you enter the workplace, be aware that you're going to encounter men ahead of you that will not get it right. And when you see those warning signs, watch them and walk away quietly right? Learn from them. My dad always said, you can learn something from everybody, even if it's what not to do. And so rather than like fall into that quicksand and and make those jokes and become part of the problem, right? Like look at that guy and say, that's wrong. And kind of quietly back away from the situation. And then I would tell myself today, exactly what you said, be that guy that your, your, your staff and your team can look at and say, Man, I never hear him talk about women a certain way. You know, I never have to worry about him in, in a situation with a, a coworker of the opposite sex. Like, I just trust that D is going to do the right thing because that is the behavior that I see out of him on a consistent basis. I don't hear the dirty jokes. Um, I, I don't see him touching people inappropriately, right? Like, his behavior is upstanding. And I always say this, man, at the end of the day, when y'all put me in the grave, like, I want a couple things on my tombstone number one was he showed up and he did what he said he was going to do right that's it he just showed up and number two is he want he loved one woman all of his life right and i think if those two things are kind of like my guiding principles like all the rest of it is pretty simple for me right so that means when when i show up in the workplace you know exactly what you're going to get at even if it sucks like even if i suck as a leader and i'm not any good this is an area that you know like hey D's going to make sure that we're all good. 
I love that, man. And I love you, man. Can, can, can I say that? I love Daryl Coffey. He has he's, he's a great a great dude. I think it's a great conversation to have, and I think we will pick this up even more because I think there's so much to learn uh, from 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 other folks. And I'd love to even hear from men leaders uh, on how they've built a culture of that. It, honestly, as we did this, I'm, I mean, we and we worked for some great, amazing leaders. Um, yeah. I gotta say, there's I I want to hear from them because I, I had to search archives for for some things that were of value i'm still struggling here so i, I think it's something that I, I very much welcome some some feedback on as well but yeah th- thank you for the for the time the conversation shout out to joe birds as well and then you know we've got to start working on what's next for what is it episode five it's becoming an official thing now wow cinco cinco is a big one all right buddy well i love you and i look forward to losing more friends this week awesome me too thanks man Hey guys, this is DC, and this was the Unfollow Podcast. We hope you like what you heard today. And if you didn't, that's okay. There's 100,000 other podcasts you can choose to subscribe to. But if you like this one, do us a favor and subscribe or share it with a friend.